Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Texas Outlaw Running Talk Show. This is your host, Briston Reigns, and today we have Greg Sissengrath, the founder of Team Dirt and Vert and a coach for Team Ninja. And then we have Jason Baja Monday, who's the co-founder of Team Dirt and Vert and owner of Run Try Bike Magazine. And these guys thought it was a great idea to go run 250 miles in Arizona. But before we get into that, we're going to go over sponsorships and everything. So every episode I've been putting out for the past couple episodes, we've just been getting more and more viewers, more people are learning about our show. And so if you want to get your business on here, that's like $20 a month, I think it's on our Patreon. If you guys want to get your business on here, um, everything's going to be linked in the description. Our Patreon's just Texas Outlaw Running. And so if you want to get your business on here, I'm definitely open to having sponsors for the show. That'd be awesome. But yeah, that's all we got for our sponsors and everything going in the intro. Um, so guys, whose crazy idea was it to go run 250 miles in the desert? I'll let Greg handle that first. Mm. I, you know, my memory is a little lagging, but I actually think it was my idea. Um, because with the way the, you know, hard rock and Western States qualifiers kind of rolled over. Because yeah. really every year is the same, at least for me. And I think it is for Baja. We just try to get a Western States qualifier and a hard rock qualifier. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes you that takes two races and that can be expensive. Um, a lot of times, for uh, again, for me personally, the 200 milers, um, while it's a obviously a physical challenge there's a there's a financial challenge that i uh that i wouldn't typically be able to undertake with the usual race schedule but with the um qualifiers kind of rolled over you know that kind of left the whole year open to do what we wanted so cocodona actually came out of the right time we had raced in arizona the year before at black canyon I probably had, I had my best 100K. I think it was the same for Baja. So as far as that, uh, how that race went and how we executed, it was been wanting to get back to Arizona. That was one good excuse. And it just, time, and the timing just worked out pretty well. And uh, I think we, once we broached the topic together, was it pretty much a done deal? We registered. We did have a few months of, uh, before they actually told us that they were going to charge our credit cards. <laughs> but once that happened, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was, so, I think so a lot much, of it had to do, how much a lot of it fee? had to do with timing. How, how much is the fee for the, um, for the Cocodone 250? Cause I was looking at like the Bigfoot 200, I think. And it was uh, like in the thousand, like, yeah, like 15, 2000, right? 15, $1,600. Right, wow. Yeah. Mean, it's about 1500 bucks. Yep. I mean, they have to pay for all the food and aid stations and yeah, I mean, it's a 250 mile trip, so I could kind of see why the entry fee would be that much, but that's a lot though. That's yeah. And that's not just the, uh, you know, obviously not just the race fee. You have, uh, you have the van, you bringing your crew out there yeah. and at least hotel for a few days, you know, most half the time they're, they're going to be camping in the van too. But there's just a, it's a pretty big expense, and that's basically uh, more than a year's worth of racing. And and the, and the racing I'm talking about is we're usually in California or Colorado, or Utah, or, or somewhere fun. So yeah, um, I you know I have to pick and choose as far as all that <clears throat> all the fun and all the time I can get away. Plus one a full week off of work is a uh, it's tough to get to. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, sure. so I'm going to tell my story on how this whole thing unfolded because I don't remember it exactly the same. <laughs> so they they announced Cocodona and Greg did send me a tweet about it initially. And I was all gung ho. And I was, but in the back of my head, I'm like, he's not going to want to do this. There's no way. So it was more of a game of chicken. Like we would tweet back and forth for a while. And then one day I get this text message that's like, it's your turn to hit register. And like all the blood left my body, like, Oh my God, he actually did press register (laughs) for this thing. Well, I guess I got to do it too. Um, and so I hit register and, and and like Greg said, they don't charge you right away, um, for this because of the pandemic. And then when, and then when the credit card charge went through and I got my bill, I was like, Whoa, (laughs) totally forgot about that part of it all. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, if you they, were lucky enough to get, um, the stimulus check, then that, that yeah. covered it. 
they got a lot to cover though, right? It's not just aid station food. Yeah. Think about all the insurance for yeah. athletes going from mile zero to 250 EMTs. Just, I mean, so much. Yeah. Permits. Permitting. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> yeah, that's crazy. And, and I want to also like the listeners listening. So these guys, they're from like North Texas, like McKinney area. And so, um, the, and I, I, I watched their training for this, this race. I was surprised Greg had like 20 miles a week. And then I forgot what Jason had, Jason like swimming or something like that. But these guys, like honestly going into it, I was rooting for him. I wanted them to finish, but I thought I knew it was going to be tough. And um, I saw Greg post on Instagram after they had already finished saying like the first 50K was like the hardest of his life or something like that. Y'all want to like kind of go into that? Yeah, so we uh, we started out together. Um, I think, uh, I don't know if we actually, I don't know if we actually agreed, but I think it just became... Um, understood that at least until we found our pacers um at mile 72 ish we're gonna try to stick together as much as we can because you know that's that's so early in the race we're not uh and we're not racing each other we're not racing the field we're just <laughs> we're trying to survive so we stuck together um through leaving black canyon city and it's a trail that we've been on and it was fine and then we around mile 11 both filled up eight stations, took our time, ate more than I ate more than I ever would at 11 miles and topped off everything. And we were, we were ready. Well, we thought we were ready. <laughs> and I mean, I Baja carried four liters. I carried three liters and I could have carried six liters and it wouldn't have been enough. I mean, we, about two weeks before they had uh, recon that route and they told us what the elevation was going to be. And it was, you know, 8K. It's a a ton. Um, But uh, it's just, it's hard to understand until you're you're doing it. And uh, it was the the hardest, it was the hardest 50K that I've ever done. And I've done some stupid races um, in in some mountainous areas. So um, I... You know, it's in, it's indescribable, not just the heat, because it actually could have been worse. It was the heat, the climbing, yeah. everything. And we weren't pushing it either. We're we're still being conservative. There's there's definitely people going out harder. Um, but it just I've never I've never seen so much carnage. We pass we pass the same guys who are laid out on rocks and then they pass us because we'd be laid out on rocks. I'll let Baja tell us some stories about his contact lens and other stuff, but I'll, yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it was a little bit demoralizing too, right? Cause you'd sit on a rock for three to four minutes, catching your breath, getting recovered a little bit. You'd stand up and think you'd be able to go a quarter, half mile. You'd take five steps and have to sit back down. I mean, it was, it was rough and, and it did, we got dehydrated uh for me four liters wasn't anywhere near enough i got so dehydrated that my actual my left eye uh contact popped out of my eye and it just stuck to my sunglasses and it was like it was like torturing me that it couldn't go back (laughs) in right yeah Yeah. it was awful but you know it like greg said it was by far the hardest 50k i've ever done and if you listen to maggie girdle who won the uh, women's side of it. She said it was the hardest hundred K she's ever done. Wow. And I mean, this is, this is a elite champion at all yeah. levels saying that. Yeah. And I mean, the, the race itself, it starts in <clears throat> Phoenix, right? Is it Phoenix? Black, uh, about Black Canyon city. city. Black Canyon city. It starts all the way to Black Canyon city and goes all the way up to Flagstaff. So like the entire race, you're like just pretty much climbing the entire race from the kind of almost the lowest point to the mm-hmm. highest point of, of yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And so, Man, that's insane! Like that, y'all were hurting that bad fifty k in, and y'all still had what two hundred twenty miles to go. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, mentally, it. It's mainly hard because I honestly, and I, I talked about this. I honestly thought I was going to DNF before we even hit the first crew station because uh, I, I just couldn't comprehend comprehend on you know how bad I felt now, and I didn't think, and I just didn't see how my body would ever recover because i felt so bad so early and it you know it took probably another half a day before all the you know all the cramping and everything started to ease away Mm. but i i really i wasn't quitting there but i didn't 
I had doubts on how I could even finish the race after it being that bad. Yeah. Yeah. How was the um, sleep deprivation? Because, I mean, you guys are out there for five days. I'm sure y'all didn't sleep a whole lot, but uh, did y'all have any crazy hallucinations or anything? You know, I didn't have any hallucinations, but I I think I got about nine to ten hours. I think Baja was about the same total sleep time count not counting or or maybe counting uh two or three dirt naps but we Dang. you know we wow. or, honestly without there's probably no set way to do it but uh we talked about you know we would do 90 90 minutes the first night somewhere wherever we were at between midnight and say 3 a.m that way just our logic was we would take a nap and then by the time we woke up, it would kind of feel like early morning. You know, some people, I don't run at 4 a.m., but I know plenty of people that do. So it, it felt like it would feel like somewhat a normal day. So we would do 90 minutes the first night, three hours, three hours. And then after that, kind of take it as it goes. And that was almost the way it, you know, that was pretty much how we, the plan went according to plan but uh you know as far as when we fell asleep um that kind of got pushed back obviously from the from the harder section so i I didn't have any hallucinations but i i think i attribute that to to how much we slept or how much i slept yeah yeah i didn't have any hallucinations either i got closer to 12 hours after that first night at one and a half the next three nights i was three hours easily um and i probably took four to five dirt naps give or take you know, five to 10 minutes each time. Um, but hallucinations didn't occur. You know, you'd see a burnt tree stump and it might look like a bear, but you didn't, it wasn't like, Oh my God, there's a bear. I better yeah. run away kind of thing. Um, and there was a little bit of delirium it, you know, for me at a couple at the end of the legs where it, like my body was just like, I'm done with this. Like, why are we still walking? Why are we still running? Why are we still awake? Um, but as soon as you got into the aid station, you're able to sit down, refuel, talk with the volunteers and your crew. And then for me, climb in the van and go to bed for, like I said, three hours minimum each night. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I was looking, so when they first announced the race and everything, um, when y'all got to man, so I was expecting everybody to finish like day three and maybe like day three and a half and y'all ended up finishing four days, right? Yeah. Um, four and a half for me. Yeah. Four, yeah, four and a half. Yeah. So when it got to day three, honestly, since it's, it was like his first year's race, I knew it was finishable, but like that's a really long race and it's going up the entire time. So like I was really questioning, like, like I thought, like I honestly thought like only like 5% people would have like been able to actually finish. Do y'all know how many people actually finished and like dropped out? I, I want to say like um, half the field dropped out halfway through or something. Yeah. Right? So yeah. about 180 starters, right? Yeah, and about 110 finished. Mm. Just under, yeah, wow. 100 finished. So, okay. I think yeah. uh, I don't, I'm not sure what the DNF rates are for 200s, but as far as the time, I think it's pretty much standard. It was like 105 hour. You know, I think yep. it actually gave us a little bit more time than you would you would see from uh from like the the Tahoes or the um, or the Bigfoots. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I. Like, like I was talking about earlier with y'all's, y'all's training, I was kind of following you guys in Strava going into it, and I looked at your mile, miles per week, and it was like barely anything. Um, how did so <laughs> – like literally it was like all willpower, um, which is really awesome to know. So like for myself and everybody listening, when they want to go do you know crazy races, they know they can just do 30 miles a week and go to the gym and they'll be no, – no, 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 no. <laughs> so Not like, everybody so, – Tell us about y'all's like training and um, if like how much of it was just willpower. Well, uh, for me, I think, uh, and I think same for Baja. This is, I wouldn't look at specifically what we did training for this. I mean, we did do something specific for this race, but as far as like the volume and training, it was all from the previous years of training for stupid stuff. Yeah. So that for me, that's what I leaned on where I, I you know, Either way, I wouldn't have time to add that much hours, and even if I wanted to, to my training, um, you, you assured me I did that. Probably add some twenty hour week, twenty mile weeks, but they're usually around you know high thirties and forties. 
but that's really just maintaining, you know, everything that I've done in previous uh, training cycles to get ready for races. So a lot, a lot of it's mental. I was a lot relying on my experience um, doing some really hard stuff in the past. Yeah. I mean, Greg and I are, are for hundred mile ultra runners. We are on the lower end volume wise, typically. So my average volume was probably 35 to 40, but that doesn't tell the whole picture either. Right. Like what's taking place with inside those 35 to 40. Are you doing speed work? Are you doing long runs and, and just things like that, that change up the terrain? Like, are you heading across timbers and putting in 13 miles or up there? That's equivalent to like 20 miles. Right. Yeah. So um, it just depends on what's inside those 40 miles and not just looking at a blank slate of 40 miles, you know, weight vest hiking. And you said, I, I do swim, so it's a great recovery, but it's also a great cardiovascular uh, component to my training cycle. Plus, I ride my bike, you know, three hours a week, five hours a week at this point. Um, and that's another huge help for leg strength as well as cardiovascular. So it's not, it's not yeah. just the 40 miles. Um, but I will say this. Uh, one of the first thoughts I had when we were done was if I were to ever do this again, I would put on a weight vest and not just do one to two hours of, you know, running with the weight vest on. I do, you know, maybe a full loop at Irwin, a full nine and a half miles with the weight vest and trekking poles and be out there for hours on end. Because when it came to hiking, you're, you're in the desert, it's a hundred degrees, you know, you got to be prepared to hike that stuff if you're not able to run and and sometimes that can be demoralizing but if you're used to it then mentally you're you're capable of getting through it so i would add that more of that to my training so then you might even see less volume right because time wise you don't have just um endless amount of time to train yeah yeah for sure and also <clears throat> greg like talked about how um you guys just in the past y'all have done so much that's very very true i've seen in my own training so like I got injured about four weeks back, put me out for two weeks. But when I came back, I was immediately faster than I was before I got injured. And that's because I had all the base and everything I built and it carried with me and your fitness stays with you for quite a long time. And so, um, yeah, it's definitely, it's not just like what you do building up to it, but it's all your running you've done before. Yeah. And you guys have been doing it for like, what, like eight years or something like that. Yeah. 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 I've been in endurance sports for 14 years. Wow. So Yeah. Yeah, so you guys just had that base to to carry over with. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, um, did you? So I know Billy Yang was out there, and Jamil Curry. Did you guys get to talk with any uh, big cats out there, or how'd that look? We saw Billy at Crown yeah. King at, at least once. Yeah. yeah, we we saw Billy Crown King and a few other times, and see the the guy that he was pacing um, was. I think he was in front of us for a little bit, but he ended up uh, finishing a little bit behind us. So we did see his crew. Unfortunately, uh, I only saw Jam Jam uh, at the very start. Um, yeah. So other than Corey Waltering, or we yeah. saw at Crown King. Unfortunately, that's where he he dropped. Um, that's uh, that's that's the highlights of uh, our leads. I, I think I just missed Jim Walmsley by like 30 minutes because he was running through Flagstaff uh, when a few of the other guys <laughs> in front of us came by. So that was, funny. that was a close call. Yeah. So I got, I, I have another one. So after we climbed Eldon Mountain, you get to this aid station and I go oh, yeah. and I sit down in this uh, chair and this total ultra dude, right? I mean, he is the spitting image of the stereotype of the ultra dude. He's like, hey man, take a seat. You want some food? And I'm like, no, nah, I just want to get the hell out of here. I want to finish this damn race. I got nine miles to go. Like, I'm done. And he's like, no, nah, have some food. You really should have some food. And I said, all right, fine. I, and I introduced myself. I'm Jason. He goes, hi, I'm Peter. And one of my pacers at the time, Ashley, was like, Peter, what's your last name? And I'm going to butcher it. It's like Mortimer or something yeah. to that effect. I know who and you're she, talking about, yeah. And she goes, did you just finish second in this race? And he's like, yeah, that's me. So here's the guy who finished second at the Cocodona 250 is now serving wow. me vegan bratwurst and chocolate cake at the last aid station before you head down to the finish line, That's freaking awesome. which I thought was pretty damn cool. Yeah. At yeah. least he didn't say, who are you? Tell me what to eat. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It yeah. was great though. I spent about 15, 20 minutes chatting with him and uh, everything he said was true. He's like, get some food in you. You'll feel better. 
you spend 15 minutes with us up here, it'll save you an hour on the, on the way down. And, and he was right. Yeah, man. So, so like <laughs> when, whenever you guys finished, how was that? I bet that felt like awesome, but I bet it sucked too. Cause I bet the few days after we're like really sucking on the legs and everything like that. So what was like the, the finish line? Like, Hey, uh, for me, um, yeah, it's probably my most emotional finish line. I don't know if you were watching the live stream, but I don't, luckily I was wearing sunglasses, so I don't know if everybody could tell that I was crying. <laughs> but I'm That's usually, awesome. uh, I'm usually, I kind of pride myself on pretty being even keeled. So I really don't have a, like during a bad part of the race, I don't have a lot of lows, even though I, I this time I said I was going to DNF and I don't really have a lot of highs. So I usually just finish and I'm like, Oh, all right, I did it. And that's it. But, uh, I think just, you know, all those days of emotion built up. I, I just, even before we finished, even just thinking about it, I got a little emotional and when I crossed and, you know, you see your crew, uh, just people that you've been, that's been dragging you around for four days are all there and everybody else smiling. I got, I got pretty emotional and it was, uh, it's, it was a little, it was, it was tough for me to hold back the tears. So, um, yeah, it was definitely my, um, most emotional finish line moment. And there's only, you know, there's not that many people coming in. So yeah. you kind of have, uh, you kind of have everyone's attention on you. So it just adds to that. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm the exact opposite of Greg. I cry at every finish line. And uh, so as, as you're running down the street in Flagstaff, there's a handful of people and they're cheering and they're pointing you in direction towards the finish line. So I didn't know what to expect. You make a right turn into this alleyway. And as soon as I did that, I saw Greg and all of his crew and then all of my crew all under the finish line banner. And it was just amazing to see. Yeah just amazing to see plus it was still daylight out which was really damn cool for us um and so just running down that alley it just like all this energy came over me and and i was just overwhelmed and as soon as you crossed the finish line then the tears started pouring and just grabbing your crew and, and just hugging them and in all honesty it's just thanking them right you know because they sacrifice a ton too right yeah. they're sacrificing sleep they're also run i mean i had three runners 150, 180 miles. So give or take 60 miles, 70 miles, 80 miles each. That's a lot of running <laughs> for them too. So, yeah. um, and, they, and they've got a fuel and they've got to drive and they've got to stress about where are you at? And so it's just a, an outpouring of emotion to have them there. Um, and having Greg's crew there and, and seeing Greg's crew all throughout the race. Um, you know, when, when you'd get into an aid station and you just have, you know, seven or eight people there, as a welcoming committee for you was huge. And so the finish line was just the culmination of all of that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. And, and I, I watched a lot of the live stream and man, can we just talk about the live stream for a second? They live streamed the entire thing, like a football game. I don't know who the um, commentator was. It was him. It was like, I think it was two guys, but I think one guy ended up just doing the whole thing at the end. I can't remember, but um, I kept on like checking every day for a few days and they were on there live streaming every single day from like when I woke up in the morning till like past when I went back to sleep. Like that is insane. Ultra running is it's developing and I kind of like where it's going right now. Um, but that was really awesome being able to track you guys because I was like checking to see where you guys are. And I keep some people because I told some of my buddies that y'all were running and stuff I'm like, yeah, I know those guys. And uh, so I was telling them where y'all were at. And so I would go on a live stream. I'd see. um just some people going by. I thought it was really cool just how they had everything set up. And um, they did that for a 250 mile race. So I'm in, I'm interested to see, you know, how this develops and everything after that. But you guys have any like thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I think, I think I originally, you know, they did it for a uh, black Canyon hundred K, which, um, which, you know, that's, that was 12 hours for us so it's it's still a pretty long time to broadcast an event yeah and uh while obviously i haven't watched the replay and i wasn't watching the live stream um just from the comments it was pretty impressive on how everybody was engaged because you know people say oh we'll follow you but we're just like a dot (laughs) moving really slow (laughs) yeah across arizona 
but when we uh when we finally when we finished and we saw some of the there's a few you know facebook threads on on our progress you got to you got to realize how many people were uh were watching just um the people that we know were watching and were following and actually how engaged and in detail when they you know they talked about oh i heard they they heard that there were everybody was running out of wires. Like, how did they, how did they even know? So they kind of, they knew sections and everybody was really involved. And they, even when they, when they saw us slow down, they, they knew, Oh, this is, this is one of the hot sections. And it just, uh, it was really cool to see how many people were able to follow alone from home. And, um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a tribute to air vibe and what they're doing because before you can only get that when we were watching UTMB. So, um, other than that, I don't know of any other races that are doing it at this level. So definitely hope it's a a trend. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jamil is with this event alone and not to mention all his previous events is changing the way that ultra running gets um received by the public because like greg said there'd be so many comments from people like man we loved following you sun up to sundown live commentary all this stuff and it's hard to fathom that right because you're out there for four and a half days i'm like who the heck is watching their youtube channel for four and a half days it seems all of us right yeah but that's the thing right so everybody was and and as a as a business owner in the media game right this is great for for me because if he's bringing attention to the sport that way, then that's going to benefit our business. And so just looking at what Jamil has done in general, right, with the way he's built Aravipa, the way he's broadcasting these events now, it to me, and I said this to our Pacers, he's putting other race directors for bigger events, right? Not for events that are like one or two or three, but for race directors that have and, and companies that have multiple events that are really large. He, he's putting them on notice because he'll get people to register for his races, knowing that they're going to get this kind of coverage versus other people who aren't doing it. So I think this is really a, a, a flag in the sand for people to, to yeah. start from and, and start to make decisions on how they're going to cover their events. Yeah. Yeah. Literally if they had a history book on ultra running, Jamil would have like a whole chapter just based yeah. on him. The dude really yep. is changing the game and uh, he's someone I look up to a lot and someone who you know, I, I try to base my races not just like theirs but close to theirs um in a way and he's just someone i really look up to and that dude man that guy is so awesome though and he really is changing the game and i'm excited to see what he's gonna do because he's so creative and um he, i can't imagine i mean he he made coco donut 250 and like did this whole thing and i'm just like I have no idea what's next for him, but I know it's going to be something big because the dude's just innovative. He just keeps on making new ideas and new things, and it's awesome. Yeah, I don't yeah. be surprised if you get a UTMB style type of event in Arizona with they have the trails. Yep, they have the trails, and they've yep. got the towns outside of Jerome, but they've got the towns that'll support it. And so you, I think you'll start to see things like that where you're running 50ks between towns, where you know it's point to point between different cities and towns in Arizona as part of the course and, and just building it out from there. Yeah. And how, how was running through the towns? Cause I know that was a big thing that he wanted to do to where you guys ran through the towns and it's kind of a part of the community. Did y'all like stopping in any bars or, or how'd that go? <laughs> now, uh, uh, I think we actually, we joked about, man, we're going to get a burger <laughs> when we get to Prescott and blah, blah, blah. But when we got, when we realized we were going to be there a lot, uh, a lot <laughs> behind schedule that, uh, that kind of went out the window, but the, you know, the towns are cool. It's a, you know, I think, uh, I can't remember who said it, but best way to see a town is on your feet. Right. So, uh, yeah. going through all the different historic towns, even, uh, luckily we were in the secret town of J- Jerome, um, early morning. So, uh, people are kind of already up so we didn't have to be super quiet i'd be it'd probably be pretty weird to go through there at night since it was apparently a ghost town but uh seeing some of the historic towns like prescott and uh and just the very um small part that we got to see a sedona at least got to see the landscape more than the town 
Uh, yeah, I think it was cool. I like uh, it. It made it easier, I think, on the crew, where uh, you know they weren't seeing us on uh, um, stretched all the way across the trail. They're actually in towns where, if you know, if they wanted to get us Chipotle, we were able to get that a couple of times, and things like that. Um, and but unfortunately, I wasn't able to enjoy other than what I saw as I was going by some of the towns. So no whiskey or no, uh, some of the finer food, unless the, the one that they brought to the, uh, aid station or to the crew van. I, I did get a burger and Prescott. It just happened to be an impossible whopper from Burger King, but I <laughs> still awesome. had a burger and Prescott. Um, the person, the person will... ordering or the person taking your order is like, who's a sweaty dude with his big line <laughs> no, trying to order a whopper. Fortunately, the crew was able to get it for me. So I just oh, had to dude. sit in the van and eat it. But I, I will say, so Jerome was pretty neat. And when you leave Jerome, you end up running through this town of Clarksdale oh, yeah. that I absolutely loved. I was probably about a 50 to 75 feet behind Greg as we were running through Clarksdale. And there were people in their houses, going to their cars, walking their dogs, cheering for us and clapping for us. There was like a coffee van yeah, on a corner was, where, where people were drinking espressos. Yeah, I was going to, if there wasn't a line already, I was going <laughs> to see if they would take Apple Pay. Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome. That 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 town was awesome. Um, Fortunately (laughs) for us too, they had the one house had their sprinklers on, so we're able to get our buffs and our hats wet, you know, and before we continued (laughs) on through the desert. Yeah, yeah, that's freaking awesome, though. Um, Yeah, so like, are that so like UTMB? Obviously, the towns go absolutely crazy. Did you have any spots that were like huge crowds and like people like oh, or was it just like? Every now and then, someone was like, "Oh, good job." How was it? Yeah, Prescott was pretty packed when we went through yeah. it because um, we were there probably midday, I would yeah. say, and so it was pretty packed in Prescott with people walking through the square and on Whiskey Row and stuff like that. Um, like Greg said, Jerome, we were there in the early morning, and then Clarksdale was right after that, so that was kind of neat. We ran through Cottonwood too, right? If I'm not yeah. mistaken um it was kind of you know it was early in the morning through cottonwood as well so it wasn't a lot of people there um flagstaff by the time i got there which was about three hours after greg um was kind of silent and the stretch that we were on um because it was pretty much around dinner time by the time i was running through there so i'm sure everybody was at home you know enjoying their meals and stuff yeah yeah that's awesome um I, i just think it's so cool that he implemented that part into the race and i was really glad he did because i was watching like his whole documentary or his vlog series of the cocodona and um i would i'd watch all of them and he's like yeah we really want to put these towns in blah 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 i was like dude that's a great idea um how i don't know how they course mark 250 miles but i heard they had like road stickers and stuff because i watched a race brief on it um was it pretty easy to navigate as far as course markings did y'all ever get lost what did that look like we we did get lost um in the first 30 five miles and that was our own fault um we're all feeling pretty good because we finally sat down and eaten and we're climbing well and we picked up a couple guys and we were just chit-chatting and then we some other guy comes running down the hill with his light and we're like oh crap uh so we missed (laughs) we missed a turn man honestly when we got there it was marked and Mm -hmm. uh for some reason neither of our watches uh beeped that we were off course so you Yep, you you had to have a nav- navigation either on your watch and on your phone. Usually, everybody had both, so I'm not sure how we missed. Other than we were just chit chatting yeah. and missed it, but you know the course was. I, other than that, we I didn't get off track, um, not for very long. Um, course was marked where it needed to be, but you really were relying on the navigation. Um, I don't know how you can do it um, without without having navigation because yeah. sometimes you're just you know you're out and you can barely see a trail so um uh, i think the course was marked it was marked well. really well I, I did get lost once um when you're in sedona right uh, before the, the station at the church. yeah the routes overlapped and um there was a there was two slabs of bedrock and they just looked like a mattress so i took a dirt nap <laughs> and when i woke up we just went in the wrong direction for about four tenths of a mile. Mm. Um, and we got to a point, fortunately we got to a point where we were, um, 
looking at the course and I'm like, this looks really dangerous. Like there's, this doesn't make sense. Like for them to put the trail this way. And we looked at our, my watch and looked at the phones and we're like, Oh, we're off course. So we turned around and went back. Um, but otherwise it was really well marked. And, and as soon as we got back to that, that um, bedrock mattress, you could see the blue and white flag that said, do not enter basically. Oh, so we just yeah. missed it early in the night. That's all. They had a lot of wrong way markers. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Like whenever, so last weekend when <clears throat> I put on the race, um, there was a few people I had it like very well marked. It literally had wrong way signs, everything like that. And there were two people and um, I guess they were just chatting or something and they ended up going like a mile the wrong way. And there was a sign there saying, Hey, go this way, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I can definitely understand like, and I've done it before too. I've done some trail races to where I'm just running, not kind of just in my own head and you just miss it. You just don't yeah. see the signs, you know? Yep. So, yeah. It just happens though. Um, but I'm glad that they had it to where you guys had like your phones or, and stuff like that, just to make sure. So you knew for sure, you know, you're going the right way because, um, without that, it sounds like you guys would have been going some completely wrong direction. So yeah. Yeah. Really I got smart. a little. I got a little spun around before we headed up to Mingus. My watch was telling me we we're off course. My phone was telling me we we're on course. So um, just sat in there for a few minutes, just problem solving until figured out, okay, we need to go in this direction and, you know, spent two, three minutes. But when you're talking about having raced 109 hours, two or three minutes is nothing. So, but otherwise it was very well done. Yeah. Um, so you guys did the whole, are, are you guys just done with Arizona? I mean, you explored it all on foot pretty much. Um, and would you guys ever do the Coconut 250 again? Give us your insight on that. Uh, yeah, I don't think I would, uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd ever do that. Nothing that long or even a hundred miler to do again, unless the only thing to go back is to prove that you can go faster. Um, but I don't know how much that would give me. I would go back to Arizona. Um, even there's a, apparently I saw someone's pictures at uh, one of Jamil's courses um, that goes through, goes around Prescott. Uh, I guess I can't remember what that race was, but it was on the Watson Lake. Whiskey um, Basin. Yeah. Whiskey Basin actually runs on that course. And I would love yep. to, I'd love to run those boulders again. So there's a, if there's a race, I'm sure there's a race that goes on those trails that goes around Sedona. Yeah. I wouldn't mind going back there either. I just wouldn't do it all at once. Um, there's just, <laughs> there's just, uh, man, so much pain that I don't wish to have to relive. There's, a uh, there's plenty on, uh, not plenty, but there's other two hundreds if I wanted to go that distance again. So I, I wouldn't repeat it. No offense to the race. Just, <laughs> just yeah. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I'll, I'll be racing in Arizona again for sure. I'm, I'm committing myself to already racing Black Canyon in February. Um, like Greg said, we finished just under 12 hours. I think we could probably knock off another 45 minutes off of that time. Um, so I'm going to go back to Black Canyon. But as far as Cocodona is concerned, that's a huge question mark. Like Greg said, um, there there's only but so many races that are 200s. And so let's go explore the other ones. Um, I would, I would commit myself to doing another 200. I just don't know that I do Cocodona again, just not because of the race was poor or bad or a terrible experience. It was quite the opposite, but really more about let's go explore something else. Uh, Maria, who is my crew chief has done Tahoe 200. She's going back again this year. And, and the idea of running all the way around Lake Tahoe is very appealing um, plus you'll get, you know, different experiences that way too. So, you know, I, I would explore other 200 milers, um, but Cocodona would have to then put be on the back end of it. Right. If you go through all the 200 milers and then start all over again, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, was, was Cocodona, was that y'all's first 200? Yep. Yes. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Um, I, <clears throat> do they have any 300 mile races? Is that a thing? Yeah, well, you could. There's, there's an infinitus, infinitus, I think is what it's called. It's a 500 mile race, wow. um, and you know you've got the race across Tennessee that you can do, which is I don't know how many miles that is, but it's a lot. So yeah, they're out there. Yeah, there's just very few uh, point to point or looped. Actually, I don't know if I can. So my friend, he has a really insane race idea. It would be like a year and a half long race. Um, I don't know if I should say it because I don't want somebody to steal the idea. 
Uh, I'm going to talk about it anyways. Sorry, Asher, if you're listening. No one stole this idea. We're like, all right, this is my copyright right here. Is this is this podcast? So we had the great idea um, to where they start like the PCT, um, and they they would have to like hike up the PCT and either run or bike from the PCT to the um, is it called the CT on the right side that goes down from like Maine all the way to Georgia. There's a Vermont trail over there. What's that? What's that one on the uh, oh the AT coast? the AT yeah. So they would either run or bike to the AT, and then they would hike the AT, and then they would either run or bike um, all the way from the AT back to where they started the PCT. <laughs> and if they did it, they would get a little um, like a little pin in the mill that has like uh, you did it or something like that. It'd be like a super humbling medal. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That's our uh, little idea we have. And the entry fee would be like $5. And uh, we're thinking like it would take about a year and a half, two years. Uh, we're thinking a year and a half would be quick, but possible. So um, I think he's going to actually try and attempt it after he graduates college. So like two in, in like a year or two years, what? he's going to actually go give it a try. Yeah. So um, <laughs> that's just an idea we had out there. And he said that would be the like longest and hardest race. I was like, yeah, it would be, but, um, yeah, that should be interesting. It's just, it's cool to see how far everyone's just pushing the limits on how far you can go, how long you can go, um, and all these big, crazy races. So, uh, they're only, only going to get crazier as you know, we progress. So thing, do you guys have any like crazy stories, uh, that you want to share, um, like out on the trail or anything like that? It's a real, Oh, so one of the things that I was jonesing for, and I will, I was thrilled to pieces that my crew chief got it for me was ice cream. Like mm-hmm. I was just jonesing for ice cream and she wound up getting me four uh, Klondike ice cream sandwiches. So clearly I'm answering the question, right? What would you do for a Klondike bar? I'd, I'd run 257 <laughs> miles for a Klondike bar. That's right? awesome. Um, but yeah. I was, I was so like, in love with that ice cream when it came and it was already partially melted and it, it didn't matter it was heaven man golly it was so good yeah yeah uh greg do you have any insane stories for uh well, crazy stories i think the craziest story is um our new buddy joel that ran with us for a little bit uh we, we were talking about how we went through that hot stretch and it's funny. There's, there's no water, obviously, uh, no creeks, but there was one, it looked like maybe there was a spring somewhere, but there is one little strip of maybe six inches of mud. <laughs> and I know everybody had the same thinking that, Oh, I wonder if there's water underneath, but you know, I was like, ah, I don't have anything to filter. So, you know, I just keep on going, yeah. but it turned out Joel was so thirsty that he, he picked up a big clump of, of the mud, put it into his shirt, and squeeze squeeze the shirt into his flask, and then use a different part of the shirt to filter that water from one flask to the other, and he drank it. Wow, that's actually <laughs> kind of smart. That's actually yeah. Really I mean, uh, and we talked about well, he's feeling okay, but then we uh, we never saw him after like mile. We, 50, we lost so. him after mile fifty-two. So I don't know. If, uh, I don't know how long it takes for a Giardia to uh, to kick in. Yeah. yeah Actually, so so one of the things that's awesome about this race, especially as hard as the beginning is, you do see, like Greg was mentioning, the same people as you're hopscotching each other. And we started out with this other with a guy named a different guy named Joel, um, who wound up finishing about fifteen or twenty minutes after I did, which was awesome to see. But there was these other two guys. Um, one guy looked fresh as all get out going up that climb. And one guy looked like the bottom of your shoe. Like he just looked <laughs> awful. And I saw them. We saw them at mile 65 at Camp Kipper or whatever. And we chatted with them there. And then when I was climbing Eldon, I saw them again. And they both looked great. I mean, they both flew past me going up Eldon. So one of the things about this long race like this and going through that really tough part in the beginning is you got to see the same people over and over and over again. And yep. then you got to see them on, see them again later on in the race. We saw, what was her name, Greg? That one, the woman that did Tour de Jean's, uh, JP. Uh, JP. Yep. 
Yeah. So I saw JP on day four after having seen her on run with her on day one. Um, so it's pretty neat that you were able to see uh, the same faces over and over again, in different parts of the course. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I feel like, uh, did you guys like follow each other on Instagram or something after to like kind of keep in contact a little bit or on Strava? Yeah. I, uh, yeah we picked up some uh, more uh, Instagram friends from people that are, that were on the course. So it's good. To, uh, I guess it's good to see also how they prepared, you know, how they're recovering. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's the secret to success on going into uh, day three is make sure you get the hot dogs at Mingus at the top of Mingus when <laughs> you get there. Cause the, yeah. the hot dogs were phenomenal. There's a guy, Ryan Ingram. He's got uh, he had it on pictures or a story of him just like inhaling these hot dogs. I know I had two of them when I was up there. I'm sure Greg had plenty of hot dogs when yep. he was there. I had two. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, so like, what was the um, main kind of like food source going into it or actually for the whole race? Did y'all kind of just have a variety of different things or was this one thing like you just kept on eating? Now we, uh, I had a pretty big variety, you know, we had, Chipotle a couple of times. Uh, I had Burger King, yeah. shrimp fried rice when they got closer to Flagstaff, and uh, a couple, uh, I think a couple gas station uh, breakfast burritos. But I had a, we had a pretty good range from at least the crew, and then sometimes the aid stations had a, a little bit more variety. So I, uh, yeah, I ate, I ate a ton, yeah. and um, I don't know how I don't know how people can go through it. Um, uh fueling lightly but yeah i definitely ate a ton enjoyed all the foods and again yeah i had those two hot dogs awesome. and mingus as well so i was definitely looking forward to those yeah the the calories y'all must have burned had to be insane it's like what 100 calories for every mile or something yeah do, do y'all About have 600 like calories an hour yeah. wow do y'all yeah. do y'all know how many calories y'all ended up burning from the whole thing <laughs> take 600 multiplied by 109 for me and that's the number you'd get I don't have a calculator on me. Yeah, if y'all are listening, y'all got to do it. But it's a lot. It's a lot of my. That's a lot of calories. Yeah, because I did. Um, I just did like a a little bit today, and it was like nine hundred sixty six calories I burned or something from one run. I was like, dang. And I was thinking about you know this is right before the show, and I was like, these guys must have burned an insane amount of calories. Uh, Do y'all's like stomachs get upset at all? Because when I finish a long run, my stomach's feeling a little tumbly. Uh, Do y'all stomachs like get messed up or anything? Anything like that? My stomach was good for the whole race, except for the last day where, um, you know, I don't sure how much we want to share, but basically <laughs> it only took for about one mile before whatever I ate was coming back out. So that went on for about a half a day or, or maybe less. Uh, I just, uh, that's not something that I typically experience. I'm usually, uh, my stomach's pretty strong, but either it was just, uh, too much, you know, too much gels for, for three days or, or just too much sugar from down in Cokes at eight stations. Um, I had to, I had to go a little bit lighter and then until that all kind of settled on its own. So yeah, that was the first time I've really had that at a race. Yeah. yeah and for, for me, it was, you know, I had, you know, the sports nutrition type stuff for the first day and a half, two days. And I started getting like these uh, sores in my mouth where I couldn't eat that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah. And so, um, and don't tell Jen Kirkpatrick this, our other co-founder of Dirt Bird, <laughs> but um, I quickly switched to oatmeal. So what I would do is I'd roll into aid stations. I'd have Ziploc bags. I'd have them pour two pouches of oatmeal into uh, each Ziploc bag. And I had three of them. Add water to it and just make it into like mushy baby food. And then I would eat that every hour on the hour. And it was heaven sent. Um, because I could stomach it. It provided some hydration with the liquid and obviously long burning carbs with the oatmeal. Uh, at one of the eight stations, they didn't have oatmeal uh, the, before we climbed Eldon, but they had instant mashed potatoes. So uh, instead of using oatmeal, I just put instant mashed potatoes and honey in the Ziploc bag and use that to eat. But I didn't have any stomach issues. Um, you know, I, I went to the bathroom as regularly as you can during a 250 mile race but nothing where I was like, uh Oh, problems up ahead. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what did you guys like family and friends think about y'all doing this? Because if I told like my, my mom or dad or my grandma, Hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to go run 250 miles. They would like, like, I don't even know what they would think. Like, what are your coworkers? <laughs> what do they all think about this? 
Yeah, well, um, Fiona was pretty shocked at first. It's like, really? But then I really don't think how, I don't think she was that surprised. So <laughs> I think it was the shock that I actually decided. But that's as far as family, uh, you know, my parents are kind of used to it now. Um, um, not obviously the 200 part, but they are used to the crazy stuff. So I don't, I'm not sure how. <laughs> How much more, you know, hundred miles is a lot is 257 miles that much worse, you know, when people are used to using five K's, uh, as your point of reference. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, my, uh, only one person at my workplace knew that I was doing it just because he was the one backing me up. Um, so he definitely thought it was crazy, yeah. but, uh, fortunately for me, I surround myself with a runner. So it's, I, I feel less crazy. Yeah. I got, I got questions and not, not, are you, why are you doing this kind of stuff? But like, yeah. so tell me, uh, when do you sleep? When do you eat? What are you eating? Where are you sleeping? How far do you plan on going? Um, one of one of the guys that owns the company that I consult with is uh, a Navy soldier, right? A retired Navy man. So mm-hmm. everything yeah. is strategic. And if you're going from point A to point B, how much stuff do you take from in this section and then from point B to point C? So it's really more a strategic conversation than not. Um, otherwise, you know, they don't ask any more questions about the craziness. Isn't it crazy? No, because we've already done enough crazy things. Now it's more questions about the strategy behind getting from point A to point B. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you have to think about like to a normal person, if they're hearing this right now, like, uh, I say normal person. We're we're all normal people, kind of. We just like to run far. Um, but per, you know, people who don't run, they're like, yeah, marathons far, and you know, twenty six miles. And when they hear two hundred fifty, it's like it's like something. It's like they heard about like aliens are real or something like that from the <laughs> government, you know. Um, so uh, yeah, it's really cool to see like reactions. Saw some from aliens, people. right? Yeah, well, Chris did anyway. I didn't see any of them. Saw yeah. the video. <laughs> yeah, we um. I actually, yeah, to, it was like Tuesday. It was like, I woke up at like five 30. We were in a tent and I look up in the sky. Um, we were camping out at this, at the state park. I look up in the sky and I see a line of like 200. Uh, they look like stars and they were all moving in a line. And, um, so I got off and I was like, bro, I, I woke up that my guy was or that was sleeping in the tent with me. I was like, dude, look, I was like, it's aliens. And, uh, I was like, it's not drones. It's not a plane. Um, so I was set, like it was, it was aliens and I, um, he looks it up. It was like some Starlink satellites or something like yep. that. So <laughs> I was like, you ruined yep. it, dude. You ruined my alien story. So, um, yeah, I bet the sky. So was the sky like pretty open out there? Cause I'm sure there's like not a lot yeah. of light pollution at some section. There's a, there's definitely a half moon. First night we were climbing we were on top of the Bradshaw mountains. So we were, uh, other than Elton or. Yeah, it's I guess it's third highest part of the course, and it was even though it was a half moon, it was still pitch dark, and all you could see were the stars. I think uh, on that stretch, I saw a couple of shooting stars, so yeah. that was pretty cool. But um, yeah, it was Arizona is amazing, amazing at night. Yeah, yeah. Did y'all see any like aliens or anything? Did y'all see government's about to release information on if like aliens are real, like Congress or something like that? Trump gave them like a deadline. And uh, they got to reveal it to the public. Did y'all see that? I didn't no. see that, but we did see the string of uh, apparently it's Elon Musk yep. satellites, and that's oh, yeah. not something. Not again. Yeah. I I never knew that existed. So yeah, I didn't either. Luckily, yeah. we got uh, people told us about it, and then I saw it for myself the second night. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I saw him going 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 through the sky, and I guess a lot of people saw him, and a lot of people were reporting UFOs or something like that um so did did you already know like they were the starlink satellites before you saw them i didn't oh i, I, I did no. but i never heard it prior to this race yeah what about you jason did you uh, I no- know or did you see them no. i the only when i the only time i saw him was when uh one of the members of greg's crew showed me the video but i didn't really notice it and i'd never heard of it either too so it's all brand new to me yeah yeah that's awesome yeah i i really do like I know this is a little off topic, but do you guys think like aliens are real? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I do. We had that conversation on night two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they are. I really do. I, I mean, we're about to find out. Government's about to have to release whatever they know. 
Um, yeah, I think it's legit. I don't know. You see all these cons- conspiracy theorists, and I saw this meme too. It was like conspiracy theorists, and there's like them eating popcorn, and it's like when the government releases that UFOs are real, and it's like they already knew, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it should be interesting. Like, man, I don't. I, I think we would all, you know, function as normal if we knew aliens were real. Um, you know, if the government was like, hey, yeah, aliens are real, this is what we know, you know. I don't know. I feel like society would be pretty tame about it. Hopefully. Um, they wouldn't just go crazy or anything. That'd be, that's kind of like scary to think about, though, that there's extraterrestrials. There might be extraterrestrials. And if they are real, that there's these other beings like studying us, you know? Yep. Yeah. They're probably like, why are these guys running 250 miles in the yeah. mountains? Like, is this like <laughs> exactly. what they do for entertainment? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they probably can't, can't even like comprehend, you know, running and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, man, this was a good show. Uh this one is definitely going to get like a lot of attention. A lot of people are going to hear about you guys and hear about y'all's, you know, brands and everything. Do y'all guys want to like promote anything uh, for all the people? Cause we're probably going to get a lot of listeners on the show um, this episode specifically. So do you guys want to promote y'all stuff? Yeah. I, uh, for me, just uh, follow team Darren Bert on Instagram. Uh, find us on yeah with Facebook. You'll, you'll figure it out. So yeah, just uh, learn, come around with us. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I'll promote my company, which is Run Try Bike Magazine. You can find us at <laughs> runtrymag.com on the web, as well as uh, using that same handle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, so if you're interested in getting involved in endurance sports, running, swimming, cycling, and triathlon, check us out. Everything is written for the beginner so that you can get a feel for where to start in these uh, fantastic sports of ours. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, for Team Durantvert, so they're doing runs. Is it, It's every Sunday, right? Yep. Every Sunday. Yeah. So every Sunday at Irwin Park, uh, 7.30, right? 7.30. 7.30. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening and you live around the Dallas area, uh, come up to Irwin Park, 7.30. And they literally have people from like walking in the back to uh, some fast guys joining in the front. So you get like all variations and it's super cool group of people. They're all fun to talk with. And um yeah, you'll be able to talk to these guys in person too if y'all want. Uh, but yeah, you guys should definitely check out Team Dirt Very. I'm a big supporter of them. I've been uh, going out to like their runs and stuff for like, I don't know, I think I, my first came like a year ago or something. Um, but yeah, and then um, yeah, definitely go try go check out Run Try Bike uh, magazine too. He actually sponsored one of my events and um, a lot of people got like the magazines and everything like that. So that was super cool. And I checked it out myself. It's really awesome though. So, um, yeah, I think that wraps up pretty much everything, guys. I appreciate everyone listening. I appreciate you guys coming on, taking your time um, to come on here and just talk about running. I really appreciate that. And so our next episode will probably be in like a week or two. And I'm just going to be talking about um, the race I put on. I'll probably have a guy that came on and like ran it and stuff like that. Um, but that pretty much wraps everything up. Make sure you guys leave a five-star rating. Please, five stars, nothing less. Um, and then subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast. And we also, we're on Spotify as well. And that's pretty much everything. So thank you all for listening. And I'll see you all in a week or two um, on Saturday. So that's it. <laughs>